Congregation, as a pastor, it's my prayer for all of you that you just don't know about his love, but actually know his love. How did you sing that song? How did you sing it? Was it a prayer, or was it just going through the motions for you? Something you do every Sunday, you just sing. But is it real to you? May it be real to you and me. Let us turn in our Bibles now for the reading of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 12. This morning we look at, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, verse 4. This time we turn our attention to God's Word. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 962. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thus far the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes are not categories or different categories of Christians but rather characteristics or marks of the same Christian, of the one Christian. Christ declares the poor in spirit blessed or happy, blessed in relationship to God, not an emotion or feeling, but a state or condition of blessedness a state or condition of happiness in one's soul because of the great things God has done for them, the great ways in which God has saved them in Christ. The poor in spirit are blessed or happy in relationship to God, and therefore the state of blessedness isn't a temporary feeling or emotion, or ought not to be. The state of blessedness consists of the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, reconciliation and peace with God, through conversion in God's Son, who is King Jesus. The one who is in Christ one of Paul's favorite sayings, in Christ, 
are those who know the benefits of Christ. Mercy, forgiveness, eternal life, redemption, salvation. The poor in spirit were those who are humble or brought low before God. The poor in spirit are those who know their creatureliness before their creator. They know that he is high and lifted up and we are very low. And in order for us to be in God's presence, we must be humbled. We must be brought low. We must be poor in spirit. In the second beatitude, Christ declares, blessed those who mourn. Those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And so we look at verse 4 this morning, and we look first at the condition of the blessed. If you have notes, that blue sheet of paper, the notes are the condition of the blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Literally, Blessed are those who are mourning, for they shall be encouraged. Think about what's being said here by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who mourn are blessed or happy. What? What? To the world, this is a contradiction. But to the Christian, this is a paradox. It is a mystery. It is truth. Because let's not deny or minimize the truth of mourning in this life as Christians. Let's not live in an alternate reality that Christians in every day and every age, they never mourn. Really? Seriously? Or to think that to mourn is a sin. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Who are these people that mourn? Well, they are Christians that mourn. But what does it mean to mourn? What is the condition of the blessed state of mourning? Do you mourn? How do you mourn? To mourn means to grieve or to lament. And there are a few Greek words that are used to describe this mourning or grieving or lamenting. The Hebrew language has several words to describe mourning, grieving, and lamenting. And there's actually one particular word in the Hebrew, actually, that is very interesting that denotes mourning, but is used metaphorically, used metaphorically as one who mourns but is translated darkness. You ever heard of he grieved in sackcloth and ashes? Sackcloth and ashes is a metaphor of this Hebrew word, that a person is in a state of darkness. He feels like he's in darkness. And he grieves deeply. And so sackcloth and ashes is a metaphor of a Hebrew word that means dark or blackish. If you ever go to an Italian funeral, and I remember going to a lot of them when I was young, everybody wore black. And the spouse of the deceased wore black 
for at least three, six. I know many of my cousins, my aunts and uncles who were black till the day they died to grieve their loved ones. Black or darkish was metaphorical of mourning. Who are the ones who mourn? In the context of the Sermon of the Mount and the whole of Scripture, the one who mourns is the one who mourns over sin and the effects of it or the consequences of it. Let me unpack that a little bit. For example, under the same point, the condition of the blessed, the Christian, the one who mourns, mourns over the effects, the effects of personal and corporate sin. Do you mourn and grieve over your own sin and the effects of it, the consequences of it? You see, what we do and think affects our lives and the people within our sphere of existence, our sphere of influence. The home is a perfect example of this. Personal and corporate sin. When the body of Christ, when the church sins, it creates a disposition of mourning. Do you mourn the sins of the church? Did not the prophets mourn and lament? You better believe they did. Most of their prayers were prayers of mourning or lamenting the sins of Israel, which included themselves. They didn't say, oh, those Israelites over there, they're sinners. No, they included themselves in it, in their prayer. We have sinned by omission or commission. And so the one who mourns, mourns over the effects of personal and corporate sin. That said, it does not necessarily mean only the one who repents or expresses sorrow for sin. To mourn also means to mourn over death. The consequences of sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When Jesus went to his friend Lazarus' tomb, you have, boys and girls, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus what? Wept. Why did he weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, so why did he weep? He wept at the reality of death. And was Jesus sinning by weeping? <laughs> That's almost blasphemous to say. It is blasphemous to say. He wept because of the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus came to destroy death. But while he was in his earthly ministry doing his work, he mourned death. 
those who died. He mourned the consequences of sin. Remember, those who mourn, mourn sin and its effects and consequences. Do we mourn the death of someone? Of course. Of course we do. We would pretty much say that we're calloused if we don't. We have no feeling or emotion or, or we're just robots. We're not robots. We're not AIs, artificial intelligences. No, we're created in God's image and likeness. And we know the reality of death and we mourn. Even God says in, to the prophet Ezekiel, God does not take pleasure even in the death of the wicked. Did you know that? He doesn't take pleasure in the death of anyone because sin and its consequences grieves the Lord. Ezekiel 18, if you're taking notes. But even here, to mourn doesn't necessarily mean to mourn over the loss of a loved one. Yes, it's to mourn sin, personal and corporate sin. Yes, it's, it's to mourn over the, the reality of death. But the one who mourns, mourns over those who rebel against God's law and word. Psalm 139, 136 says this. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. There's probably, I would say about 100% of people here. I'm just going to throw out that percentage. 100% of you know someone that you're mourning over because of their life and lifestyle. There is someone you know, whether it's a family member or friend, that is rebellious, rebellious and obstinate towards God and his word. If I spoke to each and every one of you, you can give testimony of someone in your life that you know who would either hear the word of God or hear it for the first time or many times and they don't want to have anything to do with it. You think you go away joyful or happy? Or do you mourn in your heart, in your spirit? Does not your heart ache when someone you know does not know Jesus? Those who mourn, mourn over someone who is not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the one who mourns also mourns over the effects of sin and evil in the world, including the persecution of God's people. This, in fact, is very 
prominent in the Bible. When the word mourning is used or grief is used, it's so often used in the context of God's people being persecuted or hated. I mean, I can throw out a number of texts, Psalm 42, Psalm 43, even in our own text in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you, those who persecute you, who utter all kinds of evil against you. Do you mourn for the church? Mourn for the church as they face the enemies of God. Do you mourn for those Christians who in the Middle East recently had their church bombed at the hands of evil men who sought to destroy the witness of the Christian church, the witness of Christ? Do you mourn and grieve? You see, in the Western world, we are distanced from these things. But our brothers and sisters are dying for the faith, and we have no idea the suffering. We have some law passed and we throw ourselves in a hissy fit. They are dying for the faith. And are we on our knees praying for them, mourning? Recently met a Chinese girl. She just moved here from China. And she was just telling me that a few pastors that she knows were just thrown in jail because of a house church. And they would not, not deny Christ because Christ is more beautiful to them than a jail cell. And they're willing to suffer for it. Do we even know anything about this? I often think myself that, ask myself that question. Do I even know anything about this? Do we mourn not only that these things are happening to Christians, but we, do we mourn for the souls of the persecutors? Do we mourn and grieve for the Hitlers and Stalins of the world, that they are living in depravity, that they are hostile towards God? You know, Jesus says, love your enemy, If I'm totally honest with myself, I don't think I can count on my hand how many times I've counted for my enemy in this way. I should be. Well, we also mourn, those who mourn, mourn over the dark providences of life. We mourn when we enter dark nights of the soul ourselves or when we witness our fellow believers enter them, when we're overwhelmed with sadness and sorrow. The condition of the blessed consists of all of these things. All of these things. Sin and its effects and consequences. The Christian mourns sin in his own life, and in the lives of other people. Because he's humbled himself. Because he is poor in spirit and understands his creatureliness. He understands that he is low 
but Jesus is exalted and high and lifted up. Jesus declares mourners blessed or happy. Doesn't that seem unexpected to you? Is that what you really think you would have heard from Jesus' mouth? This is countercultural and unworldly because the world seeks to avoid any kind of suffering. The world seeks to avoid any kind of sorrow and grief, suppressing it. Avoid it. How is it avoided? Well, you avoid grief and mourning by suppressing the reality of it, for one. Or you divert your attention, your emotions and affections to those things that you think will bring healing and help and comfort. But placing your hope in the things of this world, a false hope. The Christian both mourns and rejoices. Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I will, re- I will say rejoice. In the book, or the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about his afflictions, chapter 7, talks about his afflictions, and yet he is a man of joy. He mourns, and yet he is joyful. Oh, God, teach us these things. Teach us what it means to mourn as those who have hope. Because our only hope is the comfort of God. Secondly, the comfort of God. And I would like to add the comfort of God in Christ. How is the one who mourns? We looked at his, the, the condition of the blessed, the condition of the mourner. How is the one who mourns blessed? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be encouraged. Encouraged by who? Notice the passive there. They shall be. It doesn't say they shall comfort themselves, which is what the world tries to do. Look to themselves and their own efforts to comfort themselves. But no, you shall be comforted by whom? By God in Christ. In theology, we call this the divine passive. For they shall be comforted. God is implicit, fully implicit in this comfort. Implicitly stated, for they shall be comforted. And you can add in there, by God. He will comfort their sorrow for sin and the misery that sin has brought into the world and in people's lives. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That word there, dark, blackish. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. 
that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of, of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is speaking the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his first coming, the Holy Spirit descended upon him when he was baptized in the Jordan. The true God and true man, the God who took on, assumed human flesh, anointed with the Spirit for this ministry to bring good news and to comfort all who mourn. God comforts His people by sending His Son. You see, Jesus' death defeated sin, death, and hell. Jesus' resurrection from the dead defeats the grave. It has no power of the Lord, over the Lord Jesus. His ascension to the right hand means that he has poured out his spirit upon the church, upon Christians, upon you, Christian, so that in your mourning you still have the joy of the spirit. Jesus sent the promised Holy Spirit, the promise of the new covenants recorded in the Old Testament, he is the other advocate, the other helper, or the other comforter. He is the paraclete. And those who mourn will be comforted by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, inaugurated the coming of the kingdom. It inaugurated the comfort of God in Christ and a new age of peace to those who mourn. This is why when your loved one who dies in the Lord, you mourn as those who have what, Christian? Hope. You don't mourn as those who have no hope. No, you mourn as those who have hope. And so our comfort, the comfort of God, is grounded, rooted in Jesus you take Jesus out of the equation, you have no comforts. You don't trust in Jesus, you have no true comforts. You can deceive yourself with false comforts and joys, but those will be revealed in the last day. Jesus assumed our very nature, and yet he knew no sin. As I said earlier, Jesus mourned the death of Lazarus. He, he mourned death. But Jesus himself became a man of mourning. You remember Isaiah 53? What is Jesus called? A man of what? Sorrows. Sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Notice how that's we. We have esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus Christ became a man of sorrows, a man of grief, a mourner. 
so that we who mourn would have comfort in him, in the living God. He assumed the human nature so that in our mourning we have hope. In our mourning we have joy. Is that not good news? Is that not great comfort for the soul who mourns? The text says, for they shall be comforted. It has a future tense, but it's been inaugurated. It started already. The comfort of Christ abides in you, Christian, already. That's why the grace of God is amazing. Because God, through Christ, provided this great salvation for us that the Son of Man would would take on the penalty of our sin, yet knowing no sin. That the Son of God would suffer shame and a gruesome death and shed His precious blood and be pierced in the side and be laid in a tomb so that you, Christian, would be comforted and know God, your Father. Be reconciled to God, the Father. Have life eternal with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God did this through Christ. He provided a great comfort for us. That's why they are blessed in a state of blessedness. When you mourn, it is often the temptation to look to yourself or to someone else. Now it's true that we comfort one another, but at the expense of looking to one another, our eyes are taken off of Christ and his comfort. Look to Christ for comfort. We confess with confidence by the Spirit of God that we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. O Lord, teach me to love you. Teach me what it means to love you. If you think you arrived at loving your Lord, if I think I arrived in loving my Lord, I am deceived or just dumb. Let me be frank with you. When you think and reflect upon the comfort of God in Christ, does that not evoke in you a deeper love and appreciation for Jesus and what he accomplished for you? Is your heart not filled with gratitude? Lord, I can mourn and mourn deeply, but I have a joy. I have a joy. And God, by his spirit, will not allow that joy to be snuffed out in his elect, his chosen ones. The condition of the blessed, the comfort of God in Christ, the coming of the kingdom. You see, 
The comfort of God in Christ is now, but it is also not yet. It is not yet until the coming of the kingdom when it is realized in the last day when Jesus shall come, as we confess, to judge the living and the dead, give the kingdom over to the Father, establish the new heavens and new earth, and we will be with God forever. He will be, his, he will be our God, and we will be his people. On this side of glory, Christians know the grace of God and the comfort of Christ now, but we still mourn now too. This paradox will be resolved in the coming of the kingdom where there will be no more mourning or lamenting because Jesus will eradicate, destroy the presence and power of sin and death. He will destroy the forces of evil in the world when he casts the evil one and those who do not believe in Jesus into the lake of fire. And those who know him as Lord and Savior, who trust in his name, will know the state of shalom or peace of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, through the Apostle John, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the coming of the kingdom, when it is realized at the coming of Christ. And yet there are those in this day, in this life, there are those who do not mourn, and therefore shall not be comforted. They shall not be comforted. They laugh now. Laugh in the Bible is a sign of joy. They laugh now and pay no attention to sin and its effect upon the human race and their own lives. This joy, however, is a counterfeit, shallow joy. They laugh now. They laugh in the pleasures of the world. They may have a lot of money, thinking the money will satisfy them and get them to the next life all well and good. They live for this life only. They look for satisfaction in this life only. They look for peace in this life only. They laugh now. They have joy now. Listen to what Jesus says, which is a parallel passage of Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Jesus says at Luke chapter 6 verse 21, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then he says, 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The call of the gospel is a call of repentance to men and women and children everywhere to repent of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because only those who mourn in spirit over sin and its effects upon your own life and in the life of this world and its consequences, they shall be comforted. There's no comfort at the consummation for those who do not mourn in spirit in this life, even though they enjoy life's pleasures now and seek sin's pleasures. Their joy will soon evaporate and prove worthless, worthless in the day of judgment. That is a solemn warning. And this is not my word. This is what the Bible says. You need to understand that. I need to understand that. James says in James chapter 5, verse 7, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is saying essentially what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn in spirit, who mourn and grieve sin and its effects and consequences. Quickly, I want to close with, some, with application. I've been applying it thus far. I want to apply it even more. If you want to turn your sermon notes over, you can do that. True Christians are godly mourners. And here are some important takeaways from the second beatitude, especially in light of this paradox of mourning and having joy of the Spirit. How do we make sense of a joyful mourner? Christians are mourners, not miserable. Christians are mourners, not miserable. We don't approach God in life, or we ought not to approach God in life, with a miserable attitude that gives the appearance of a false piety. If I show myself to be so miserable, then I show myself to be godly or holy. No. It's a false piety. Mourners know grief and sorrow. But again, again, we have the comfort of Christ. We have the power of the spirits. You can grieve and mourn and still have a piety, a devotion to God that is joyful. Christians are mourners, not hopeless. We are mourners, not hopeless. We are mourners, not a people who despair. To mourn is not the same as hopeless. We mourn in this life with hope in the life to come when Jesus restores and redeems his people and creation. Thirdly, Christians are mourners and not joyless. 1600 pastor said this, that joy is the pleasure, delight, and rejoicing of the heart 
It is the expression of a spirit set free. It is generated by a present blessing or due to the anticipation of a future blessing. The rejoicing of the heart. In this age, we are afflicted with grief and we mourn, but the joy of the Lord fills our hearts, sets us free from the bondage of sin, death, and hell. And we don't despair. We don't despair because Jesus doesn't leave us as orphans. He is always with us even to the end of the age. I mentioned this earlier. Paul says, in our affliction, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. With joy. Fourthly and lastly, we are mourners. We are mourners and we don't live a life of solitude. Because mourning can tend to lead someone into a solitary place. A solitary place is good. It can be good. Silence is good. But to put yourself in a place of complete solitude for a long duration of time can be dangerous. Mourn together. Grieve together. Comfort one another. Encourage one another daily for the day is coming says the author of Hebrews. And that's why he says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints, for the day is coming. Therefore, encourage one another. That's why you have one another. Christian, that's why you have one another. You are one body in the one Christ, with the one spirit who dwells within you. Mourn together, grieve together, comfort each other. Mourning is a reality, friends, not a weakness to be hidden. This is why you have one another, and the love of God is in you to bless the family of God, those who are going through trials of various kinds. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And even now, this is pre-cross, pre-resurrection, Even now, after that post-cross, post-resurrection, we have the comfort of Christ, and we will know the comfort of Christ, Christ fully and completely in the last day when he shall come again. Are you mourning? You are blessed. You are comforted by Christ, and he will comfort you fully in the last day. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow our head and our hearts before you. We humble ourselves before you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that by nature and apart from you, we are nothing. That we would be utterly lost and without hope in the world. And the consequences of sin in our own lives and the lives of those around us would wreak havoc upon us. And they still do wreak havoc upon us. But in Christ, in Christ and by faith in his name, you have restored us. You have forgiven us and you have given us comfort. 
And we can share this comfort with one another. With those who are going through difficult times in life. Those who mourn. Oh, Father, we pray that we would learn what it means to love you and love our neighbor in the way in which we look to you alone for that divine comfort and peace, and the way in which we receive that divine peace and comfort and share it with our neighbor. And so help us, O oh God, help us, we pray, to live out our Christian callings in the confidence and joy that we have in Christ and his perfect sacrifice and work. Knowing that our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to him. We belong to Jesus. And we are thankful. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.